Derek and Mike podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike pod or on our website, DerekandMike.com. My name is Mike. This is my boy, Derek. What's up, Mike? What's up, all you people? Ooh, changing it up a little bit. D, I like that. Keeping it fresh. Yeah, I got tired of just saying what's up, everybody. You know, it's just starting to uh, roll into being a single word. Yeah, yeah, we have no bosses. You don't have to feel constrained to say anything. You could just uh, open the show and just go, Wop. you could say that if you want. Yeah, we don't have any bosses, do we? Yeah, we're, We got we're, nothing. We're bold. Yeah, yeah, nothing. We are free agents. Yeah. yeah. Uh, dude, I wanted to talk to you about something I don't know if you're interested in. I have been dabbling um, in, in my interest with it. I'm fascinated by it. It's way beyond my intellectual uh, abilities. But it is still fun to think about and learn about. And it seems like it's a big deal for the industry. Um, thinking about fusion. And um, I keep hearing headlines that are all like compact and, and interesting and kind of missing the point entirely. But, you know, they'll keep saying like, oh, some little independent company in a small town has recreated the sun. Um, but what they really mean by that is that they are working on the fusion problem and uh, you know, basically creating a fusion reactor or perfecting the process of using a fusion reactor to create so much heat, create and contain so much heat that it mimics the process of the sun. So um, it's not as cool as creating an artificial sun, but essentially I guess it's kind of creating or or harnessing the the power of the process the sun uses to generate its own heat and, and energy, right? Yeah. Um, are you into this at all? You've been thinking about fusion, reading about it, staying up on some of the latest advancements in uh, nuclear fusion. No, no, not really. I um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, Mike. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't give a shit. But, yeah. but go on, proceed. No, I mean, well, there's definitely. I, I don't know jack squat about fusion. I know obviously fission was just splitting the atom. Fusion is what merging them together and making. Um, Two yeah. atoms in one or something. I don't know. Yeah, fusing together, right? Just the word fusion is like taking two things and combining them. Um, I had to write down like a super layman explanation of what fusion is because I'm super lame. And it, it's essentially smashing together two nuclei of hydrogen and you smash it with enough force to create a helium atom. And it creates also a spare neutron. And in that process, it just makes a shit ton of energy. Um, so that's the process that the sun, not the sun uses, but that's what's happening inside the sun to create so much energy. The sun's like compacting on itself and, and crushing these, um, hydrogen nuclei. And, um, they've known about fusion since, ah, shit, dude, I think it's like the late 1860s or something like that. They've known it was a thing. Um, they started working on the problem in like the 1920s and then in the fifties, they started using these, um, reactors that we're still hearing a lot about called, uh, tokamak reactors. And what these tokamak reactors are, are basically like a donut shaped device with, um, really strong magnetic fields. Like, so mag magnets are 
um, facing inward on the inside circle of the donut, and the magnets are holding particles in place while they're superheated. And by superheating these particles, then it creates energy, and then the whole thing is, okay, how how long can we contain this in, insane heat? How hot can we make it? And how can we utilize the energy that's created from that? So that's what they discovered in the 50s. They had no idea how to use it practically. Um, they were burning way more energy than it, they were using way more energy than they were creating, basically. It was it was energy negative um, yeah. for a long, long time, but they knew they were onto something, so they kept working on it. And then, I guess like in the 90s, they got really close to what they're calling, their lingo is um, uh, break-even, where they're getting really close to creating as much energy as they're using uh, in this process while they perfect these nuclear fusion reactors. And they're not quite at break-even, um, but everyone in the industry or in the world feels like they're getting really, really close. And some people are saying that they feel like they're going to hit that break-even mark sometime this decade, which is a big deal. Um, and then from breaking even, obviously becoming like energy positive is the goal so that they're creating way more energy than they're using. And then they're able to use that to build, um, you know, power plants and, and power cities and, and use all that to, uh, essentially, you know, change the way we're creating energy. It's, it's apparently a really clean and a really safe energy source. Uh, it's super abundant. I think they use seawater to get these hydrogen nuclei. So it's something that every country has access to. Um, obviously, it's a matter of building nuclear fusion power plants all over the place, but um, very different than fission in safety because um, fission can become unstable and like explode or, you know, whatever happens in fission power plants. But fusion apparently is not prone to explosion or catastrophic failure or anything. I guess if anything goes wrong in the experiment, it just kind of stops. Um it just, I don't know, I don't totally understand it, but that's thats what people who do understand it say, that if something goes wrong, the whole thing just stops. Um, so I guess if that's true, then it's a super safe way to go, um, which all sounds pretty cool, man. A clean energy source that's super abundant and cheap to acquire and safe. Um, so all that's got a lot of people really excited. Might be an alternative energy that we're getting close to being able to use and make make sense. Uh, so all that's pretty awesome. Okay, you want my take on it? Ooh, oh, Ooh. is it a conspiracy take? <laughs> Here it I comes. really hope so. All Here right. it comes. Um, so if if there's a way that energy can be decentralized and created in a decentralized way, that that will be squashed. So yeah. they need a way to centralize the creation of energy in order to create a dependency on the energy grid. Uh, but I do firmly believe that there are um, ways to create energy that is a decentralized way that could be used um, in each individual's home and be not dependent on the grid. And it's not solar. Um, I, I think there, I heard a... Hamster some, wheels? Hamster wheels. Yeah, I, I thought that's where you were driving at. A hamster farm. Everybody just needs their own hamster farm. And then we're going to be overrun with rodents, and it'll be a giant, you know, plague, and then we got a different set of problems, but still, hamster wheels. Yeah, I heard there was 6,000 patents that are energy-related that got squashed. Wow. So uh, just because well, you submit a pa patent, what's that? Well, yeah, no, I was just, you know, thinking in response to what you're saying is, is there is a lot of 
um, pushback or suppression by the energy conglomerates already in power, you know, big oil, all that kind of stuff. They're not just going to let some new startup come up and make them obsolete. They've they've been down those paths before, right? So they've squashed uh, thousands, like you said, 6,000 patents for uh, energy improvement um, processes or, or inventions. Um, so that will be uh, an obvious struggle if, if something ever becomes more effective, safer, and less environmentally um, bad and more abundant and becomes a real contender for wide energy creation use, then obviously big oil and all those current energy um, controlling companies are going to have something to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. The big dogs on top are just, they're not going to let that happen. They're not going to let all the Or they're going to get involved and they're going to figure out ways of monopolizing what's apparently pretty cheap and pretty abundant, um, you know. As long as it can't be decentralized. Because I, I don't know, there's a pretty popular um, display of something that got squashed. And it was, I need to look it up, but it was in the 60s even. And a guy yeah. created an engine that ran off water. And there's even a... Um, like a, a short, like five minute video on it where he explains it and shows it and it just gets great mileage and it, and it runs off water. I've heard and, that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't know anything other than I've heard it exists. I can't wrap my mind around how you power a combustion engine or maybe it's just not a combustion engine at all. I don't, I don't understand how it works, but I have heard that that existed and then it was crushed. Yeah. Somehow I don't know either. Somehow I think, um, I saw this video just a few days ago, not even that long ago, and uh, it was it, it was like a round contraption, and it somehow like separated maybe I don't know if it separated the hydrogen from the water mm. or whatever it did, and then burned the hydrogen. But um, uh, yeah, no, I mean like, like a little. Uh, so it's basically a hydrogen powered car uh, essentially. Mm -hmm. All right, which we have we have hydrogen powered things. It hasn't become like ubiquitous as being put into cars or anything, but, uh, maybe that's essentially what it was. And then it's simple to describe it as, Hey, it's powered by water, but, Oh, you don't just like, you know, pour a gallon of water into your tank. Um, maybe there's a little bit more going on in there. You have a little mini reactor under the hood and it's, uh, separating hydrogen atoms or whatever. I don't know what it was, but they did show a little video or a picture of it and it didn't, I mean, it did look a little bit, it looked fancy. I mean, for the sixties. Yeah. You're like, wow, look at, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Did but, it have fins? Um, yeah. A lot of things in the '60s had fins. You know, I don't, I don't remember seeing what the car exactly looked okay. like itself, but it yeah. probably did have fins. I would definitely put fins on there. It needs mm. fins, yeah. Like a Thunderbird fins, Thunderbird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has a big eagle on the uh, on the reactor. Like, yeah, no, it has to be era specific. Yeah, and then you have Tesla. You know the you know the Tesla conspiracy where mm -hmm. you know obviously this this man was a a mega genius and a lot of people seem to think that uh he actually is did find a method to um either transport electricity through just the ether of the atmosphere or that electricity already exists in the ether of the atmosphere and that it's able to be pulled out at any time and uh, a lot of people do believe that no, people also believe that we can use the earth uh, we can tap directly into the earth and extract energy directly from the earth. I've heard that one. Okay. And like then, you just like dig a hole and stick a plug in it or something? Something along those lines, yeah. Mm -hmm. huh. All and right. then, um, 
Oh, there was one more. I that can't would remember. suck for people in apartments. They're like, yeah, this is great for everyone but me. I live on the 30th floor. I can't reach the earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I I really do believe that there's there's things that are out there that uh, just got squashed. I mean, let, let's just face it. Um, the powers that exist are just not going to allow the all the power and everything to slip out of their hands. They're just not going to. And, you know, you, I, you've heard so many stories, too, about people making uh, these engines that are, um, you know, produce more energy than they consume. Sure. Uh, what, what's that? Perpetual, perpetual energy. Uh -huh. A lot of people say that's that's BS. I, you know, I, I actually don't know. But, I mean, definitely I have seen some videos, too, of some other guy that created some kind of magnet contraption. And, uh, and he, he would hold classes around the country and they would come and see and he would show them um but he just kept getting shut down everywhere yeah. he went like they were just attacking him and I yeah, do we talked that, about the the, the, the magnet him. thing before where repelling magnets can spin and obviously generate energy so enough of them aligned properly can probably generate enough energy to power uh to power a vehicle or certainly power other things you know yeah it makes sense doesn't it it just yeah. and it just makes sense yeah but um, why do anything like that when we continue just when we can just continue to dig up fossil fuels from the earth and burn them and pollute our atmosphere and do all that? Because that's obviously a much better uh, solution than repelling magnets or water. I agree. Yeah, we need to. Uh, yeah, we need to um, suck on the earth's teat <laughs> <laughs> and just light its milk on fire. Yeah. That's, that's you know, what we need to do. There's one thing that I, I remember what I was going to say. Um, and this is such an interesting concept to me. And the implications are actually pretty large. But like Tesla, did you, have you heard of the story where like he, um, like, what was it? I'm trying to get the story right. So he was like up in like the ninth story of some building. Okay. And he made the building rock. Like this is either, Elon Musk? No, this is Tesla. Oh, 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 Nikolai Tesla. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the Tesla. And, I gotcha. Uh, and um, what what it is, is that all matter has, I think, what's called a resonant frequency. So okay. everything, you can affect things if you find that resonant frequency. And one of the examples of that is, I know you've seen that one old video like in the 50s of that bridge going fucking ape shit wild have you seen that from the uh -huh. wind yeah i mean that that is a trip right but so the wind had connected with the resonant frequency of the bridge and as crazy as it as it appears i mean you, like if you never saw that video you wouldn't believe it if somebody came and told you like yeah the, the bridge is waving like water you'd be it, like get it, the it fuck was, out of yeah. here literally waving and twisting like like water like turbulent water yeah and that's yeah and that's, it wasn't that just like oh it's blowing in the in the wind like a leaf no it was like it was rhythmically twisting um to me it makes me think of like the reed effect like a like a wind instrument how you put a reed in a wind instrument like a saxophone and you blow over the reed and it creates vibrations and those vibrations go through the sax and make rad noises um but that's, yeah, that's kind of what's happening there, right? Like when you get a blade of grass between your thumbs and you blow it and you can kind of make like a kazoo sound. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're you're vibrating that that leaf as if it were a reed. And yeah, yeah that's a cool example because, yeah, that 
bridge was literally like dancing in the wind. It wasn't just being blown by the wind. Uh, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it's vibrating or, or yeah, resonating. That's yeah. And like, like with your example, if you were to blow on that reed too hard, you wouldn't get anything. If you blow it too soft, you wouldn't get anything. So you had to find right. kind of that resonant frequency, that oh, reed, yeah. that's a good example. Yeah. And, uh, and really the reed is the only thing that's, that's creating the sound of that saxophone. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just, um, being amplified through the sax tube, uh, and then changed by the buttons you're pressing. So he, he, uh, figured that out and supposedly he created a device or s something that like, I want to say it would like hit the ground at a, at a certain rhythm or something along those lines. And I may be screwing the story up, but that like caused the whole building to rock. Like if you literally find the resonant frequency of something and you rhythmically uh, hit according to that frequency, you can collapse something. Um, wow. I mean, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, and I, you know, I'm trying to tie this back into energy. I don't know how it ties back into energy, but I know Tesla was like basically the mat, like a master of energy. And the, this conspiracy is that, you know, he, he died penniless, penniless. Um, I think it was JP Morgan that ended up like buying his patents and just like squashing him or whatever, because, you know, Tesla is the inventor of AC, the alternating current, because he was like, no, DC cannot, because uh, DC can't travel far along a, a, a uh, an electrical line. So AC right. current could travel very far along elect electrical lines. So um, he ended up, I think it was JP Morgan bought all this shit or whatever. The guy had no, was broke, didn't have two nickels to rub together. When he died, I believe the story is that Trump's uncle, Donald Trump's uncle went is the one that went into Tesla's apartment, confiscated everything, and we never heard anything about his experiments uh, anymore. Wow, so he comes from a long lines of shifty bastards. All these people do. All these people wow. that are that are Well, um, I think with the 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 um the the Tesla thing is he and Edison were in like heated competition to win between ac and dc so they both like launched negative smear campaigns against the the competing um method of delivering energy and uh one of them god i think it was shit if I, i'm gonna fuck this all up but essentially i i, I want to say it was tesla who set up a, a dc demonstration a demonstration of edison's chosen um system and electrocuted an elephant to death or something. Oh, no, I think it was vice versa. I think Edison did that um, with Tesla's way of doing things and said, hey, look how dangerous it is. It can juice an elephant. And everyone freaked out and kind of scared a lot of people away from Tesla's way of doing it, the DC, and urged them toward Edison, the AC, which Edison had a lot of backing. And I think Edison actually had backing from um, J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan's house was one of the first to be electrically wired and have um, uh, switch on lights in there, and uh, Edison did like a uh, like a display, like basically like an unveiling type of a thing with with J.P. Morgan, if I remember right. I saw it on a History Channel doc where it was outlining the the competition between Edison and Tesla, but it was heated, dude, and it got like all into like the the negative press and like smear campaigns. It's like I was saying, they were both trying 
trying to make the other one seem stupid and dangerous and trying to win the public's favor. Um, it also makes me wonder, too, I wonder if there was more lobbying behind who to support where you figure if if D.C. doesn't travel as far, it would require more infrastructure, more plants um, in, a, in, a, in a giant area than AC. If AC travels further, there would be need for less infrastructure, right? So yeah, less, less boosters, less... Uh... Uh, less equipment, less contractors, less money, less less control of the grid, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know any of that shit, but that, that sounds like maybe some of that played a role into backing Edison's plan, um, you know. So I don't know. That's interesting. But that that's a lot of what plays a role between what is invented and what actually makes it to the mass market and the way it's presented to the mass market is rarely just like, hey, here's this great idea. You guys should use it because it's awesome. It's, hey, this has already been pre-approved by the authorities, and this is the one that they want you to see and buy, regardless of whether it's the best option out there for yourself or for others. But it's the one we want you to have, so it's the one we're going to make available and make sound great. Yeah, I think, and then, um, where did I hear this? I was watch, I watched a UFO, do, a couple of UFO documentaries recently. My dad was telling me about them, um, Greer, uh, what's his name? Something Greer. David Allen and, Greer from In Living Color. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, not 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 him. Um, <laughs> Maybe his brother. Could be his brother. Yeah, um, his white brother. Um, but he, uh, yeah, I think he mentioned that there were six thousand patents that had been squashed. Maybe wow. I already mentioned that. But yeah, six thousand yeah. patents that have been squashed that are under control. I mean, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. You know, you got the patent office and I, I bet you in the patent office, probably the very, if you file a patent under energy or some shit like that, you, you're sounding some alarms, I bet. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. That's pretty crazy. Oh, I found on Forbes here. It says Nikola Tesla's earthquake machine. So yeah, I guess. So he just stomped his foot and and shook a building. I mean, that sounds crazy, but that's also just sounds like one of those demonstrations where a lot of other factors are coming into play. But it's 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 impactful visually and simple to get. So that's kind of how you would design a public display. Yeah, what it says here, there's a short excerpt. It says, in 1896, Tesla was working on oscillations to be used for energy transfer. The idea Dang. was to create a steam-powered oscillator, so just something that just created a beat, uh, able to create various frequencies. If the frequency matched the resonance frequency, a receiving de device should transform the mechanical oscillations back into an electric current. Huh. So right. interesting. So interesting, yeah. But um, Yeah. Wow. And they have a little diagram here of that. I'm going to share that on our Twitter. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, it really, I mean, some of this stuff has already been figured out, you know, and that's what, um, yeah, all this stuff is squat. Man, can you, 1896, this is like, th this guy is not small pittance. Well, you know, this guy's figured stuff out way before. So, so that makes me think, like, we have a tendency to look back in time and just go like, oh, back, you know, oh, in the 1600s or in the BC era or in the, you know, year 500. Oh, people were so much dumber back then, or we're so much smarter than they are now, or we've learned so much and, and they didn't know anything back then. You know, they were working with um, iron tools and, and building things out of stone and all that. So it's, 
I don't know, I guess it's easy to kind of feel uh, superior compared to all of our computer technology and, and uh, you know, CAD equipment and hydraulic power and, and steam power and electrical power and diesel power and nuclear power and all the things that we've we figured out. But they, they were very innovative. Um, all humans have always been innovative. The era is somewhat superfluous. And, like, it reminds me of an inventor in ancient Rome. So 2,000 years ago, uh, a guy was inventing steam-powered machines. And steam power didn't really become a thing until the 1800s, which was a big part of why what sparked the Industrial Revolution. But they didn't even have steam power, like, in the Revolutionary Era. Steam power didn't come into play until the 1800s. But 2,000 years ago, a Roman inventor was working with steam power. And he never used it for industrial purposes. So it never sparked an industrial revolution. They never used it to, you know, hoist blocks for building construction or power vehicles on land or on sea. They never used it for something like that. He used it to make toys and, like, curiosity, cool, like, magic-y type exhibits. Like, hey, gather around, pay an entry fee, and watch this really cool thing. And he made... um uh, something like, uh, like a spinning wheel where basically he would heat water and the steam would rise up and be captured in these little spinning cups and it would spin around like a, like a pinwheel. And it was obvious, it appeared to be self-powered. It appeared to be possessed by people who didn't know any better, you know? So it was really famous. And then he also, uh, did a thing where he, I think he cast out of bronze. Um, I think it was like a, a cow or some animal, um, a, a big cow and he would, um, heat water inside of it. And as the steam escaped holes through like the nose or out the, of his butt, yeah, out of his butt, uh, <laughs> it would, it would make a sound. So the cow started like hissing or, or making, you know, yeah. <laughs> sound. If I knew that's what it would do. <laughs> that's what it would do. You put like a little whoopee cushion against his butt there. And as the steam escaped, it'd be all like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I mean, crowds were just amazed. They thought that this guy was like a God. Because he was able to build these machines that use steam power in a cool, um, spectator-friendly way. But he never did anything practical with them. Uh, he never powered anything. He never invented, like, the next step, like a piston or or, or anything, you know? Um, so yeah. it's, it's interesting that, yeah, the technology, the innovative um, thinking, the materials in a lot of ways were there. But the times weren't right. Um, I, I, I heard a historian yeah. comment on that specific thing I'm talking about and saying, yeah, he didn't, they, they, there was no need for steam powered machinery or vehicles because the Romans had slave power. So the economy wasn't begging for faster, more efficient ways of doing things. They had people that were basically forced to work for free. So they weren't worried about mechanizing their everyday life or making their jobs more efficient or any of that kind of stuff. So it was a different society that created different sets of, of motivating factors that caused this guy to use his amazing, amazing genius to make toys and, and novelties instead of create a steam engine. And, you know, who knows, maybe the people that own the slaves didn't want to release that too. You know, uh, remember history is written by the victors. Um, so did you just throw out a, an ancient Roman conspiracy theory? I did. I, I, did. I like that. Yeah. Well, nice. you, you got to figure, I, I really truly do believe that our history is just completely distorted 
on, well, you figure on what has happened. Just like I'm saying, there's always been ingenuity. There has always been um, the desire to control and stay in power, which is yeah. the breeding ground of conspiracy or just kind of um, underhanded self-promoting behavior and thoughts and messaging. Yeah, yeah. I I found here. I've, there's a little bit more on this um, Tesla device here. Uh, uh, if you want me to read this, it's pretty interesting. I yeah, this um, is about shaking the building. Yeah, yeah, it's right. about shaking the building. Uh, it says in eight in eighteen ninety. So that device, that um, thumper device, that um, creates oscillations, and there's a diagram of it. In eighteen ninety seven, the device was ready, and in eighteen ninety eight, he supposedly managed to oscillate his laboratory at forty eight ETH. East Houston uh, Street, New York, enough right. that alarmed neighbors called the police and ambulance, fearing an earthquake is happening. Huh. Then uh, he, well, um, and it says uh, somebody here, somebody published an article about it. He put the little vibrator in his coat pocket <laughs> <laughs> and went out to hunt a half erected steel building. Come on, he did that on purpose. Come, yeah, come on, seriously. He put his little, He. this is literally out of a 1912 article. Is he going to talk put, about the climax of the experiment? <laughs> yeah, I, he might. He put his little <laughs> vibrator in his coat pocket and went out to hunt a half erected, erected steel building. So you're saying the building was flaccid. It was flat. <laughs> it was a semi. <laughs> it was a semi. All right. <laughs> Down in the Wall Street district, he found one. Ten stories of a steel framework without a brick or stone laid around it. He clamped the vibrator to one of those beams and fussed with the adjustment until he got it. Tesla said the structure began to creak and weave, and the steel workers came to the ground, ground panic-stricken, believing that there had been an earthquake. Police was called out. Tesla put the vibrator in his pocket and went away. <laughs> <laughs> Ten minutes more, and he could have laid the building in the street. And with that same vibrator, he could have dropped the Brooklyn Bridge into the East River in less than an hour. Wow. Isn't that a trip? Wow. Yeah. Tesla was a really cool guy. Really interesting. Um, sucks to see a guy so innovative, so just so brilliant. Um you know, basically have a career that kind of, you know, crapped out at the end, like you said, died penniless, that, that sucks. But it happens very often with artists, inventors, entrepreneurs. Sometimes their genius is just not, it just doesn't come to fruition during their life. And then uh, later on, people realize how great they were or the product they invented ends up going on to, you know, be perfected or, or just become more popular or, or, you know, any of that. But it's sad when that happens. Like a guy like Van Gogh, who... Uh, you know, he had no idea that he was going to be the acclaimed artist he was when he cut off his ear and, and died pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's almost like he was born, we've talked about this before, we're like born in the wrong era, right? I mean. Well, maybe, but it's the right era because what he did contributed to the advancement of human civilization and, and the technology and, and all that. And he was the the yang, the yin to Edison's yang or whatever. Um, so maybe it was the right time. He was just destined to be, you know, ahead of his time. So he didn't get to enjoy his contributions or his innovations. But he yeah, probably, he was like before his time, huh? But if he's such an experimental genius, like, did he really need to become famous and rich? I mean, I, it probably would have been nice. I don't know Tesla, but 
maybe he was just so fueled by the science that that was just all he cared about and what he immersed himself in. Maybe he just, you know, seemed to stay focused on his innovations. Um, and the rest probably felt like a chore, like having to go to battle with Edison over which technology was better. That probably just sucked. Like, that's not what inventors and geniuses and scientists want to do. They don't want to get all political and compete in a marketing arena. That's that's probably not their personality type. They really yeah, probably he, just want to yeah. focus on their science, you know? Yeah, he probably got served papers to go to court, and he's like, oh, fuck it, just take all the technology. I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, I ain't got time for this. I'm on to something different now. I'm working on... Uh, you know, hydrodynamics or some shit. I think it was him that said, once we start, once we stop um, investigating what we can see and start investigating what we can't see, then we're going to have major breakthroughs. Mm. Yeah. I like the sexual innuendo in that, uh, in that article you read. I mean, as you, as you were telling the story, I had to really try to focus on the point of the story because all of my brain wanted to do was find new opportunities to insert words uh, to make it more sexual. I mean, it's just uncanny. He put his little vibrator in his coat pocket. I mean, I would be, a if I wrote that, I'd be wrong. He missed a good opportunity yeah. when he talked about the building like creaking and all that. Like he could have thrown in the word moan. The building moaned uh, or quivered, you know, it quivered and moaned. Yeah, yeah, I... I would be like, oh, my God, they actually published that. Yeah. Look, they actually did it. We got past the editor. Yeah. Holy shit. We'd be, you and me would be high-fiving each other like, yeah, yeah look, no, dude. we could put yeah. his vibrator in his coat pocket. The vibrator line made it past the editors. Good job, dude. Ha, ha, ha. Everyone's going to read that. Yeah. That reminds me of, like, the Disney artists um, where they used to always hide, like, uh, imagery inside Disney art. And I remember one on the... Um, the Little Mermaid cover, uh, we had heard that it has a picture of a big, like, golden palace on the mermaid. And, uh, or, or on the Little Mermaid, on the cover of it is, like, a big golden palace in the background. And all of the pillars of the palace are penises. And I don't remember how we heard about it. My sister and I, we had heard about this, and we were just like, oh, my God, we got to see this. And so we went and we dug into our old VHS archives and we found a copy of The Little Mermaid. And lo and behold, all of the pillars of the castle were golden dicks. They have a lot of penises in a lot of the Disney movies. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. Uh, very phallic. And But, I mean, if I was a Disney illustrator and I was hiding things in artwork, I would probably do it. I would probably go to the penis first. It seems like the first image that you would hide into something just to be a smart ass is that's what we all like, you know, when, when you fell asleep and, 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 and wherever we were partying and after a show, you fell asleep <laughs> and what did we draw on your face? Yeah. You drew dicks and, uh, swastikas. Yeah. Um, uh, the swastika thing. I'm you, not you a big fan of. I think that, was that was somebody that was a little bit more demented. Yeah. I wouldn't um, do that, but penises. Yeah. I'm so not above drawing a penis on a face. Yeah, yeah. And I had plenty of penises all over my head and face. <laughs> it was a and... plethora of penises. <laughs> yeah. Good, <laughs> hey, good thing we, you know, it's great that I think we mentioned this before. We had phones, but yeah, they didn't have cameras. Thank God they didn't have cameras on, uh, on the phones. Yeah. There would be a lot of old Whoa. photos coming up in your Facebook memories like, hey, 20 years ago. And it's a picture of you with fucking just penises on your face. You're like, yeah, Facebook, thanks. I, I'd rather forget that. Um, but thanks anyway. And we probably wouldn't have done half the shit that we did, too. Because there was like an aura of uh, non-disclosure back then. 
Yes. Or um, something like that. You know? Once that marker washed off your face, it was gone in a memory. It, there was no documenting that event. Yeah, there was no lasting uh, evidence. It was just, hey, you got penises on your face. Uh, you go wash your face and it's done. We can all forget about it. But none of us are really going to forget about it. Speaking of penises, have you heard of the Air Force's Rods of God? Rods of God. Uh, was it half erect? Um, <laughs> 20, 20 foot erect tungsten steel. Whoa. Okay. Steel beams, 20 feet, about as big as a, a phone uh Phone pole, or what is it called? Telephone pole. Uh, telephone pole. Yeah. Phone pole. <laughs> I like phone pole better. Like, like a phone pole. You know, like a phone stick. Uh, what what are those things? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a yeah. Those those sticks that stick up out of the ground. Uh, yeah. they're that big, made of tungsten, and they shoot them down from space and hit targets on Earth with purely only kinetic energy. Whoa. Um. All right. So it's like space darts and they're using like tungsten uh darts well it's like lawn darts really from space yeah long yeah, they call space it, they lawn call it, darts all right yeah and i guess um they did something like that back in vietnam stuff kind of gives me the creeps like looking back at some of the shit that that we've done um but they called them lazy dog projectiles and they could reach speeds of 500 miles an hour and they can uh penetrate uh, nine inches of concrete. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine, was, I, I would picture more than just nine inches of concrete firing a tungsten telephone pole from space. Well, I, I kind of eased, I, I, I switched subjects on, on us really. That was during the Vietnam war. Oh, they were and, just probably dropping out of like helicopters or something. They were, those were, yeah, those were less than two inches long and they would drop oh. them from 3000 feet and they would penetrate uh, nine inches of steel. Yeah. That's pretty deep penetration. Yeah. And uh, these here, um, let's see, I'm scanning this article here. Uh, I am empty-handed. It doesn't say how much, how far down they penetrate. But um, let's see. They run deep. Those jimmies yeah. run deep. So deep. <laughs> Put your ass to sleep. Uh, yeah. Wow. What were they made out of in Vietnam? Were they tungsten? Two inch, um, I, two inches like a, a a fucking a toothpick. It says simply they were simply solid steel pieces, less than two inches long, fitted with fins. Oh, there like was a dart. no explosive. Why yeah, not just, just call like them a, a dart? They're fucking darts. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, why are we making it sound overcomplicated here? All right, so we were throwing darts at the ground in Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. That how horrible. My God. I mean, I guess. What, what would you just be trying to like lay a whole bunch of those on a building or something? I mean, how horrible. That's how probably horrible. anti-personnel, you know, like uh, in Vietnam, people were like hiding in trees and stuff. They were really hard to see. So they probably just like fucking shotgun blasted a ton of these little, you know, steel darts into a big area to, uh, you know, probably just kill as many people as they could. They were trying to yeah. get innovative in Nam. They didn't, we, I, I don't think we knew how to fight that war, that, that kind of jungle warfare um really like no holds barred kind of warfare like um you know the enemy was not uh adhering to the doctrines of the geneva geneva convention to say the least um yeah but, right you, you know um 
I don't know. So there was a lot of innovation with like chemical warfare, fucking Agent Orange and all that kind of stuff, right? And then obviously also um, air darts. So yeah. So these these rods of God, I found it's called Project Thor, and instead of small projectiles from a few thousand feet, Thor used used a large projectile from a few thousand miles above Earth, and. Um, they're 20 feet long. Uh, tungsten rods drop from orbit, reaching a speed up to 10 times the speed of sound. What's so the what speed is of sound? 7,000 miles? No. Uh, I know it's 790 feet per second. I don't know okay. how many miles an hour that is. So it would be 7,900 feet per second. What's so speed that of would sound? Be... Well, so Mach is the speed of sound, right? So that's what? Five or yeah. six or something? 100 miles? Mach 7. Uh, yeah. Mach 7 would be seven times the speed of sound. Oh, oh 10 times the speed of sound. Mach oh. 10. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, it reached Mach 10, and it says the rod itself would penetrate hundreds of feet into the earth, destroying any potential hardened bunkers or secret underground sites. More than that, when the rod hits, the explosion would be on par with the magnitude of a ground-penetrating nuclear weapon, but with no fallout. Wow. So you know where this is going is the... um. What is that uh, earthquake that just happened recently? It was the Tonga volcano. No, not earthquake. Tonga volcano. So there's a video on TikTok where somebody is describing. I don't know how they got a video of this, but it shows the the Tonga volcano eruption. And it shows before the Tonga volcano eruption. And it's on our Facebook page. Hey, real quick, before we get into that, I I checked it out, and um, speed of sound is 767 miles per hour. And you said it was 700-something feet per second, right? So is Um, feet per second uh, equal to miles per hour? I don't know. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty. So here's how I know. When I used to have an air gun, uh, if if you go over um, 1,000 feet per second... Or 800 feet per second, or so, and it, it it also depends on the atmospheric level that you're at, like how what your altitude is at, like your barometric um, pressure, something like that. Yeah, Ooh. like the, uh, but depending on your altitude, the speed of sound is different, um, whether okay. you break the speed of sound or not. And uh, I think I thought I thought it was 790 feet per second. Once once you pass that mark, my air gun would make a crack when I would shoot it, go crack, you know, just like a gun, you're pop, Um, but it's an air gun. It shouldn't do that. But every once in a while, uh, even though the air gun was set, Oh wait, no, it was supposed to be 900 feet per second. So yeah, I think, guess maybe it was faster than that. Um, but at altitude, I think it's 700 with your little pellet. Yeah. With, with the little pellet. And I'm, I'm pretty certain like it would always be around 900 feet per second at zero, you know, at sea level. Um, but up high, I, I remember when I played Top Gun uh, video game, I think it was like 790 feet per second at altitude. Mm. So either way. So, but yeah, pretty damn fast. Uh, but, you know, 10, you know, um, 10 times faster than my air gun. Wow. So 7,700 miles per hour or whatever, they're launching these tungsten poles into the ground from atmosphere. Uh or from orbit, you said. So it's orbiting the Earth. It's beyond the atmosphere. And they're able to pinpoint some underground bunker where they've identified, like, some terrorists hiding out down there or, uh, 
you know, some some prepper who who hasn't paid his electric bill, something like that, and they're just <laughs> they're just gonna freaking launch one of these tungsten darts down from space to crush the underground bunker. Yep, that's what it looks like. And so the and the, the, the cool part yeah. there is that it's obviously very pinpointed and targeted, but there's no nuclear fallout. It's not really like a bomb. It's just a super heavy spike going really fast and just gonna fucking go in and just crush it. Yeah. And right. this video this video shows clearly something before the explosion of this volcano, quote unquote volcano, it clearly shows an object. You see it in two frames before it hits the water and makes a splash and it shows the splash. You know, whether the video is doctored or not, you know, who nobody will ever be able to tell that. But it appears like something comes from the sky hits the water, makes a splash, and then there's this enormous fucking explosion. Wow. And the, the video is on our Facebook page, Derek and Mike Pod. Um, but it, it's it's just, uh, I mean, you know, the news is never going to tell you stuff like this. Our mil military is never going to tell you stuff like this. You know, you're not going to, you know, if that ever did happen. So you're um, saying they're that never going to tell you. One of these uh, God Rods, started this volcano like we poked a hole maybe and and released lava or or jarred it uh, maybe there was no volcano uh oh like it just poked a hole in the earth and then we we like we tapped a new lava reserve and now it's shooting out of the hole well remember it's the same amount of kinetic energy released as a nuclear bomb wow according to the article huh. so but with no fallout and then in the video that it shows uh, in the last 15 seconds, it shows some kids uh, somewhere on um, some island filming something at the time that the blast happened. And I'll tell you what, I, I would expect a volcano to be like real deep rumble, like boom, like, you know, real bassy, right? This wasn't bassy at all. This was like just a real extremely loud pop. Like it, 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 it just reminds me more of an impact than it does a volcano. Huh. So there's the conspiracy. All right. I needed one, but there it is. I like it. Now, All right. now, if you do, you, I don't know if you remember, but when Trump, back when Trump was in office, there was North Korea was rattling their swords with the nuclear weapons. And it, it was kind of getting heated. I don't know if you remember, but they had... The mount they have their nuclear weapons program in a mountain, right? Kind of probably like our Cheyenne Mountain. Okay, and this is every this is common knowledge. Their mountain collapsed. Well, I I have a theory on how that mountain may have collapsed. I think it was probably one of these fucking rods of God. What a coincidence that you know there's probably a lot of mountains in North Korea. I've never been there. Uh, hope I never go, but there, there, there's probably, I assume there's more than one mountain and the one mountain that just collapses, which doesn't happen often. I haven't seen a mountain collapse in at least a few days. Um, but what are the odds of the mountain that collapses being the one that they're housing their nuclear program in? Yeah. Well, I, I think they gave, there was, there's a whole big fancy explanation around it and, um, about that 
you know, their nuclear weapon itself did something or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe they just, uh, maybe, maybe like someone, you know, was eating a cheeseburger and leaned against the ignition plug and just fucking set it off and blew all themselves up and collapsed their own mountain. That's possible. They don't seem super bright. I guess it's possible. But I, I think that also, though, we, we had this technology back then, um, clearly. So this was, it, it very well could have been uh, just dropped one of these rods. Because after that, he, Kim Jong-un came to the to the table, the bargaining table, and he said, yeah, we'll stop our nuclear weapons program. I mean, what, what choice did he have at that point? And after that is when he met Trump. So it was like, um, it just seemed like uh, he just got one of these dropped on his ass is what it, what it could be, you know. Who knows? Huh. But I put that I put that article to well I put the Rods of God article on our Rods uh, of God Facebook. yeah space yeah. darts I like that yeah uh-huh. huh all right man yeah yep. that, that, that that stuff is really uh just mind blowing to me the the level of technology that we've reached and you know through for mainly like you know government military use the weapons that they have are incredible compared to what we were working with less than a hundred years ago at like world war two, where, where we, we didn't even have radar for most of the war. And then even at the end, we had some kind of whatever radar that was really, really primitive. But starting from that, where guys were literally fighting from airplanes visually, um, and even ships, the ships were navigating, um, based on like scout planes, scout planes would go out and try to find like enemy squadrons um, there was no radar to kind of say like, oh, you know, hey, enemy squadron off in that direction, uh, 400 miles or something like that. Like they were relying on sending up scout squadrons from these aircraft carriers to find the enemy um, ships, uh, attack yeah. forces and stuff. So uh, from that and what we were able to do with that level of technology was amazing. I mean, they waged an, inc- they waged an incredible war um, with what limited equipment and, and that they had, but to go from that to what we have now, space starts is a pretty big leap from less than a hundred years ago. I like that way better. You're right. Space starts is what it should be called. That's totally what it should be called. I mean, yeah. come on, rods of God, eh, anything with God in it, obviously, uh, right, instantly turns me off. Um, yeah. But space starts is totally what it should be. It makes it sound yeah, let's fun. Just call it what it is. Yeah, rods know? of gods kind of creeps me out. It's like, ooh, that sounds apocalyptic. But space starts, sweet. Let's grab a twelve pack. Yeah, it does put it puts a little bit of fear in you too. But I mean, if, I guess if you're going to present it to the enemy, like I'm going to throw some space darts at you. Oh, oh okay, no. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, <laughs> maybe as a deterrent, it's not as terrifying for like all. Oh, you're going to do some. You got a nuclear program? Yeah. Well, we got space darts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Anybody want to play some space darts? Yeah. Russia's like, <laughs> no, go home, America. No one wants to play space darts with you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, boy, boy, we we certainly are at a. Uh, I mean, this is why the aliens are so scared of us destroying our planet. They're not probably scared <laughs> of us. They're, they're probably just <laughs> like, waiting for I us just... to do it. It's like, why invade that planet? They're doing a great job of ruining everything on their own. Let's just kick back and wait. Well, part of it, not that not that we were going to get into this, but sorry, we. I always bring us back into aliens, don't I? But the multidimensional theory, if there are multiple dimensions that we just can't see, you know, these weapons and the nuclear programs are just destroying other people's worlds too, huh. most likely. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sad. I mean, yeah. It, it sucks for the aliens because if we ruin our planet, 
there won't be anything left for them to come and take over. So it's really selfish of us to ruin our planet, um, purely from an alien perspective. Yeah, no, and and that's I think that has probably in a, in a large part stopped um, nuclear weapons from flying too, because if you wanted to take over a country and you wanted that country, you wanted the land or whatever, you know, you're not going to launch like a million nuclear weapons at it. Cause well, no, cause then what's the be land able... worth, you know, it's radioactive and, and just, you know, a, a radioactive desert. No one wants that. Yeah. You've but destroyed you all to, the infrastructure. But if you want to eradicate a threat to say like, Hey, this particular country is so bad. The only option we have is to wipe them out and then we'll all sleep better at night. Um, I think a lot of people would have resorted to nuclear weapons as an easy answer, um, other than the fact that a lot of other people have nukes, and as soon as one flies, a bunch fly, and then we're all gone. And I think at some level, we're all pretty concerned, or hopefully we're concerned about, you know, leaving an inhabitable planet for our kids. I hope so. I'm with you on that. I uh, am. Uh, that's all I think about is is my daughter. I know you two, uh, your sons. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes it really bums me out to think about, and then I try to like, come back to just, okay, just focus on the time you're living in and, and what you have in front of you. And, and, uh, it's time to make your kids lunch. But when my mind sinks down that, that hole, it, 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 it's depressing, right? Because I hear a lot about, or I read a lot about, um, species that are disappearing and species are going extinct at a rate far greater than we than we believe has ever happened in history before um other than like specific cataclysmic events like when all the dinosaurs died off uh that was like some event whether it was an asteroid or or whatever it was like some event caused a lot of dinosaurs to die off in a relatively short amount of time that's an exceptional situation but overall species go extinct uh as the planet uh and its environments evolve which is to be expected but it's happening now at a rate that is um, just appalling. And uh, it's clearly because of human-caused uh, destruction in many different ways. But Yeah, I don't know if there's any way we can not do that unless we just uh, didn't have so many humans oh, on the planet. Yeah, there, there's no way to like end uh, species from going extinct at all because they did that before humans ever, ever uh, proliferated. But... There's certainly way, lots of things we can do to slow it, particularly like in the oceans. I mean, we use the oceans like um, like a tool belt or a resource bank, and we just overall in general don't give a shit about it. We just dump our trash in it. Um, you know, we, we, yeah. we, we fucking just shit in the ocean, figuratively and literally. And the ocean life diversity has suffered immensely over the last hundred years since the Industrial Revolution. And it's really sad when you think about, uh, I mean, yeah, the ecosystem, I'm not smart enough to really be able to conceptualize the, the catastrophic, um, problem that a ruined oceanic ecosystem means for the rest of us and the entire planet. And it will probably mean the demise of, of humans as a whole, because we rely on the ocean in so many ways, but just for flat out, like tuna fishing, has become abundantly clear from one Southern California guy who likes fishing um, because the tuna fishing is not what it used to be when I started fishing 15 or 20 years ago. You used to be able to go out on like half and three-quarter days, 30 miles off the coast at most, and hit limits of tuna, albacore, uh, yellowfin, 
even bluefin a lot of time. And sure, that kind of happens here and there, but fishing trips are not what they used to be. And experts in the field are saying that bluefin tuna in particularly are so overfished and um, that they could very well go extinct within our own lifetime, like in the next 20-some years. And that is sad, sad, sad. Um, And aside from, obviously, recreational fishing, there's all kinds of other things that come into play with that sort of with that sort of uh, a destruction of life and diversity that is just really bad news. And we have no idea how bad we just know it's really bad. I mean, same thing with the environment and all that kind of stuff. Like we know things are bad. We don't really understand what the domino effect will be, but we know it's bad. Uh, we're doing nothing about any of it. So those are depressing uh, thought paths to go down. So now I'm bummed out. And then the bees, you got the bee situation ah, too. The and bees. Keep... God damn. Humans suck, yeah. Eric. What, what the mm-hmm. fuck are we doing? We're just like, look at this beautiful planet. We should fuck it up and ruin it for everybody and leave our kids with uh, some uninhabitable wasteland with no water and toxic air. And, uh, yeah, that, that's what we're doing. That's awesome. And, and I believe those are the insecticides, really. You know, the oh, Monsanto. I thought it was like uh, radio waves or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've heard that, too. But I've heard both. But, you know... Um, there's a lot of money in Monsanto and insecticides. So I would, I tend to go that route because, um, they would be able to pay to keep that out of the news. Mm. Yeah. As opposed to like, oh, well, let's make it, uh, the, uh, the Wi-Fi is what's killing the bees. Yeah. But wouldn't major telecom pay to keep that out of the news? I mean, if we knew like cell towers were fucking bees up and that's going to ruin our agricultural, uh, everything, then wouldn't, you know, telecom take a hit Fuck yeah they would yeah, yeah so i mean they're they're certainly in the lobbying room well did you hear about the the big uh hus fuss about uh 5g and uh, that yes but i'd love you to explain it to me because i don't know the details i just know uh there's a lot going around 5g i don't know a lot about it i just know that um i think it's being turned on maybe today or something and um, a lot of the airplane manufacturers are saying that it does interfere with the planes that they have in the air. I don't know which ones or what ones or how yeah. it interferes with them, but it does interfere, they're saying. I did hear that. the flight controls. I did hear that this morning. I was listening to a BBC report, and they were saying that the the wavelength of 5G is really similar to the wavelength of, of what airplanes are communicating back to radio control with or whatever. So the FCC is basically requiring these 5G towers not be turned on around within a certain distance of key airports. And I thought, well, that's a fucking uh, weak-ass response to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this thing makes planes not able to communicate. So around these really big airports, uh, they can't use it. Uh, What about smaller airports? That seems like a problem. You know, I live near a small airport. Um, Are they going to be... Are they going to be interfering with those guys' communication? Because I'd prefer not to have them crash into my house. Uh, Serious. Uh, what, what the fuck, dude? That's that's a weird, obviously lobbied response to a what sounds like a huge problem. Yeah, I didn't know that it was uh, the communication because I think I could pick up the communication on an HF band, uh, high-frequency band. I think picking it up um, is different than interfering. You're not broadcasting, well, you're receiving. So broadcasting a similar wave might interfere with the transmission of another similar wave, but you receiving a wave is is different. 
well, five gigahertz to sixty gigahertz is nowhere near similar to an HF band. I don't know. Yeah, um, a, I, they didn't get into detail. They just said that the wavelength was a similar length. Uh, it could be for know. radar. I would okay. imagine oh. possibly for radar. Oh, yeah. But um, do we really need five G? I don't know. It doesn't seem like uh, no. I, I seem to be pretty happy with my speed and Tele everything. And Telecom then, needs uh, it. They got to keep showing uh, improved profit margins, and they're going to need to. You know, increase your subscription rate and put a bunch of money into infrastructure. They got to do all this. You know, they got to keep uh, beefing the bottom line, dude. And it doesn't travel that far either. So, like, if they're going to put 5G in your home, they have to build these fucking things, like, right outside your house. There you go. More infrastructure. Like beaming, yeah. Yeah, beaming into your house. Like, I don't want that shit beaming into my house. No. Um, if it doesn't travel far, that means the wavelength is too sh short. Uh, meaning that it does interact with uh, physical matter, like it can't go through brick walls. So if it can't go through things that are uh, physical matter, that means it's absorbing it. So guess who else is fucking absorbing it? Me and you and yeah. our kids and shit like that. Like, yeah. I don't need that shit. I don't want it. No, tumor time, dude. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's really fucked because none of this has anything to do with, A, being needed because... All of our phones are working plenty fast. We're all, we're all, uh, you know, connecting to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, um, um, perfectly fine. And uh, sharing photos with each other has never been a problem. Sharing videos with each other has never been a problem. Like, why are we dying for faster mobile service? We're not. I don't know anyone that is. We're fine. Um, I agree. Right. I mean, it's fast enough. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, dude. None of that matters. Demand doesn't matter. Safety doesn't matter. All that matters is this gigantic company is like, hey, here's what we're going to do because we're going to generate a fuckload of money and we're going to buy politicians to make it happen. I, I put a, uh, there was an article that I put on our um, Twitter about there's some groups in Fr France that are destroying those towers. They're just, they're just destroying them because they think they're also used potentially for some other reasons um, that are not so, uh, that are a little nefarious, uh. but they're destroying the towers. And if you try to mention that, like on Twitter, like you'll get blocked. Huh. Like you can't mention shit like that. Like the, the article that I posted there, it, um, it didn't like come up, you know, sometimes you put a link on there and it shows the description and shows a picture of the article and stuff. It didn't right. show shit. And then I think if you click on it, it even says, are you sure you want to go to this article? You know, that whole, like, secondary, this could be, uh, you might get a virus. It's like a just total warning, bullshit. Uh, fake news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah, but, um, yeah, there's that firewall of uh, these big corporations just stopping you from seeing a whole bunch of shit sometimes. And it's just like, well, it kind of makes me feel like a lot of times, like, you're over the target if you're, like, uh, not being shown something. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't okay. Let's 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 turn this around. I don't want to get all depressed again. Oh man. The world sucks. Yeah. Companies own us. They're gonna give us all cancer and they're gonna profit yeah. all along the way. Sweet. Oh, good news. Good news. Okay, ah. so remember you were saying your backyard can't really grow shit, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of work. It's uh uh really compacted from the giant machinery that built our tract. So the dirt is basically like concrete. Um, water, oh, okay. water doesn't percolate. Roots have trouble penetrating it. Water just kind of runs off the top of it. 
so it really needs to be aerated and and turned over and worked over in order to uh, sustain life because yeah, the, the dirt is so compact that it's basically just like concrete. Well, also too, did you, okay. So it's like concrete, but is it also like nutrient, um, lacking nutrients or, um, well, yeah, just because, you know, worms and water don't penetrate it. So, I mean, all that just rolls right off the top. Um, when you turn it over, like I, I, I use a garden weasel, which is one of these great little like infomercial things that, that actually really works. So I, I use a garden weasel when I'm about to plant a, like a flower bed or some vegetables or whatever, uh, stick the garden weasel down in there, twist it and turn over the first, like, I don't know, nine inches of ground or whatever. And that fixes it. Um, it turns into very easy to work with, uh, dirt it's, it's loose. So it's obviously easy to dig in, but it also supports the plants. No problem. Their roots are able to penetrate it just fine. And I guess there's enough nutrients in there, um, to, you know, keep everything going because I'm not really adding a lot of nutrients. Sometimes I'll kind of spray some miracle grow or whatever, but not really. I just turn over the, I just, uh, use that garden weasel to turn over the dirt and, uh, then it's pretty okay. But if I don't do that, if I just dig a hole and I got to do the whole flower, flower bed, because the whole flower bed needs to percolate and, and aerate, you know, and roots spread out way beyond the, the width of the plant above ground. Um, yeah. but if I don't use the garden weasel and I just dig a little hole big enough to plant in the tiny plant, then it's essentially just like a little concrete basin that the plant is sitting in and water never disperses. It just sits in there, fills up the roots rot out because the water doesn't drain and, and it dies. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a problem right there. Yeah. Um, I think mixing some sand in there might help some drainage or something, but, yeah. um, what I was going to say, I, I thought you had a nutrient problem and, um, one thing that I just recently found was that biochar will, if you amend that into soil, then it will, you'll always have good soil. Like it will not go away. The biochar will always just, um, provide nutrients seemingly forever for like this one guy was saying, I don't know if it's true or not. This one guy was saying for thousands of years, it'll be amended. I don't, I don't need it for a thousand years. I'd be good with like a decade. You know, it's like, hey, do this once every yeah. 10 years and your dirt will be great. And be like, yeah, that's pretty fucking good. I'll buy that. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not going to be around for a thousand years. So that's like my, you know, 10 times great grandkids problem. He can buy his own bag of biochar. Or you can make it. You just chop down a tree and burn the tree. Okay. So just charcoal. Yeah. Oh. It's, well, it's not the charcoal. It. You well, can not. buy it at like a Home Depot or something like that. Yeah. There's, uh, you want the natural one, but it's really kind of like, um, it's mostly burnt, right? Because like, if you burn a tree, it'll burn all the way to ashes. You don't want it to be ashes. You want it to be right before ashes. So you like put the fire out right before, uh, it burns into just ashes all right. and then you use that and then you amend that into your soil. And then supposedly right there, that is like the best thing that plants could ever want. Huh? Yeah, all the nitrogen. So I'm going to try that. Stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Are, I mean, if you're into that, do you do composting? Do you have like a compost heap or anything? I do. I have a compost heap. It's not, I don't think it's very successful though. I'm just uh, um, more into just yeah. buying the compost really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, keeping a big heap of like rotten eggs and, you know, orange peels and shit, it, it can get stinky. Yeah, it's just too much of a mess. And well, I'm just like, you know, I can have mushroom compost delivered over here for like 280 bucks for like a truckload of it. 
Uh, you know, so yeah, I'm just kind of, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Do you, when you compost, do you use like, like an actual composting, you know, rotating cylinder or one of those like flippable compost boxes, or do you just have a big pile that you, you know, throw your eggshells in? Yeah, I have a pile. I have this, uh, plastic mesh kind of plastic contraption that, um, is round and you just tie it off. Uh, and I covered it with a burlap sack so it doesn't look so shitty, but it's probably about um, three feet by three feet, um, kind of in a circle, and I just dump all the shit in there. All right. And then um, every once in a while, I just go out there with a pitchfork and flip it. Ooh, and a pitchfork. Man, you are really Tennessee now. You bought a pitchfork and a pickup truck? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. All right. I am. Man, I don't even know you anymore, dude. I'm telling you. You used to and be I'm like, a, like a sports car driving software engineer from L.A., and now you yeah. are a pickup truck driving, pitchfork wielding Tennessean, flipping over compost yeah. heaps. Well, if you look at my truck, though, I don't have a hitch on my truck, so I guess. Oh, uh, dude, yeah. that immediately diminishes your Tennessee cred. Yeah. Is your truck yeah. a four by four? Yeah. Uh huh. All right. All right. Okay. So that's there, but uh, you need a trailer hitch. You you really do. Yeah, I do. I know it's silly. I just have no need for a trailer hitch so far. So you've never had to pull anything, right. huh? Nah. Do you mm -hmm. know how to? Well, pulling a trailer is easy. Do you know how to back up a trailer? Fuck no. All right. Um, I've had to learn that recently, and uh, uh -huh. in some instances, it's a little embarrassing because uh, I work <laughs> <laughs> I work in the uh, construction industry. And these guys are fucking pros at all of this kind of equipment shit. Towing is nothing to them, right? Um, yeah. But to me, I'm I'm like new in the whole uh, construction equipment world. I'm good at sales, um, but construction equipment and towing things is certainly not something that I've devoted a lot of practice to. And um, I have to tow things from time to time, like towable air compressors or towable generators, uh, towable water trailers. Well, anything towable, like just kind of towable pieces of equipment and yeah. I do it fairly often and driving forward is super easy. So once I got good at like hooking up a trailer, which always really freaked me out because I was very afraid I wouldn't hook it up right or it would fall off on the freeway or something really bad would happen. You know, I didn't want to kill anybody because I'm stupid. Um, oh, yeah. So once I figured out how to hook up trailers, um, I would try to put myself in scenarios where all I had to do is drive forward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And not, you're going to google maps and mapping it out yeah. the night before right like <laughs> no no like when you're pulling up like okay i'm delivering an air compressor to a guy and and uh i'm like okay when i get there i'm going to try to find a place where i can you know pull in and and park with it uh with enough space to do a huge u-turn and only drive forward right that's like my goal is like okay how can i enter this thing to where i i never have to back up and yeah. a lot of times I'm successful, but other times there's just no getting around it. And uh, I've gotten better over the past couple of years, but still not good. And in the beginning, I was downright atrocious at it. And, dude, I remember one uh, scene where I was delivering, what was it? It was a towable cement mixer. And I pulled up <laughs> on the job, and the dudes, the, the super fucking construction <laughs> dudes dudes were standing out front, saw me pull up. And they're like, oh, cool, brother, you're here. Uh, go ahead and just back it into this little space right here. And I'm like, okay, fuck. And, uh, man, I tried to position the truck, and I'm just like, okay, dude, just, you know, uh, 
I don't Can know. You do it. Uh, yeah, I was just like, I'm just going to do this, you know. And and naturally, a cement mixer, uh, uh, more than other trailers too, it's really short, and short trailers jackknife really easily, which means they pitch to one side or the other because it's such a short trailer. Uh, uh-huh. I'm not even good at towing like a longer trailer, but these little short fucking cement mixers, dude, they pitch sideways like really quickly. And uh, man, I was trying to back this thing into that space and must have tried like eight times, you know, <laughs> where I try to back up it pitch sideways. Okay, back into forward, pull up a little bit, straighten it out, try it again. Boom, pitch the other way. Like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And, Did uh, you have a crowd around you? No, they, no, like, just, forming a crowd just the, and, the two guys who had uh, who had requested it, and I was doing them a favor by delivering it myself instead of having an actual driver who knows what he's doing do it. So I was hooking them up. I got it there sooner than they would have got it otherwise, but embarrassed myself in the process. And eventually, these guys just watching me try to back this little cement trailer up. He goes, "Dude, just drop it right there. We'll just we'll we'll get it right there. It's fine." Dude, and I've got no ego at all. I was just like, "Oh, oh thank God, I'm so fucking embarrassed. I can't tow this thing, you know." And whatever, I, I'm not going to try to pretend to be good at it, you know. So you gonna go practice in a parking lot now, or that's you... what I should do. I have not. Um, just through enough of those experiences, I've got a little better each time, and now I'm okay. I can back up a trailer in maybe not eight tries, but maybe four or five. Um, uh, a less embarrassing, but still not great <laughs> performance. And uh, yeah, so yeah, trailer is better than I can do. I'm sure. Maybe you're better off I'm without sure. a trailer hitch. Just be like, oh man, I'm great at it, and I would love to tow your trailer, but uh, you know, no hitch. What am I gonna do? Sorry, I don't have a hitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous of your job. Sometimes I like that um, idea of, uh, well, even just getting on a not a backhoe, but yeah, I don't know, one of those little things that dig shit up. Oh, dude, I, I want to rent one of those for a weekend, man, and just. Do so it. I can go at it in my yard. Do it, dude. It is so fun, and it is yeah. intimidating, but you've got YouTube, and all you have to do is get the model number of the piece of equipment you rent, like get a little mini excavator or a skid loader or uh, a backhoe if you really want to go big, and and just rent it on a Friday, turn it back in on a Monday, and you only pay for one-day rental because weekends don't count. So you yeah. pick it up on a Friday morning, you've got it till Monday morning, and you're only paying for one day, and... Uh, um, just look it up on YouTube, how to drive, a, you know, a John Deere 310 backhoe or whatever, whatever you get. And there's going to be a million videos of dudes who are great at it, breaking it down because YouTube's the greatest. And yeah. you'll just be, you'll be off and running in no time, dude, digging big hills, grading it out. Fucking you'll be, you'll run it in a weekend. I'm going to dig a bunker. Oh, of course you are. I'm going to dig a fucking bunker. Of course I am. <laughs> of course you are. You know, I was going to tell you this. I, I forgot to tell you last time in the podcast, but we were talking about um, a drum room, right? You know, where like it's real hard to play drums. Yeah. There's this video on YouTube, like speaking of YouTube, me and the greatest. And he's this guy from England in his backyard, just totally normal backyard, probably like yours, uh, maybe a little bit bigger, but not much. Uh, he digs a big fucking bunker puts down there it's like a 20 by 20 foot bunker down there and uh he plays the drums down there wow and you can't hear shit no underground it'd be entirely dead yeah wow there you go there's a project for you yeah i think my association would be stoked on that <laughs> fucking hit, hit a <laughs> gas line know? or something like, hey, yeah. what are you do- send what out- are you doing uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll end up I'll end up hitting a fucking gas line or, or a sewer pipe or something like that, and they'll just be like, uh, I'll have to call the city. Hey, uh, I, I hit a sewer pipe. Like, yeah, why are you digging 15 feet into your backyard? Um, yeah. Oh, I want to make an underground drum room. Like, no, 
But, I mean, I guess if I was to hire contractors who knew what they were doing, I mean, you can dig a pool, right? I mean, I guess I wouldn't have to go a whole lot deeper than a pool. How, how deep is yeah. a pool? Eight feet? What's the deep end in a pool? Yeah, mine's eight feet. Eight feet. I don't know how deep the hole needs to be made to make a finished pool depth of eight feet. I can't imagine that deep because they just go a little bit down. They put in some rebar, some concrete. That's the that's the structure of the pool basin, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm clearly I don't know, an I'm just saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, it sounds good. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, wow, underground drum room. I bet it would be cool down yeah, there, Yeah, I'll send you that video. You know, I'll post it up on our, our uh, Twitter page. All right. And I, I, I bet it'd be really, page. it'd be cool down there because, uh, you know, it's cool underground. Yeah, it's cool in the summer and it's warm in the winter, right? I like that. All right. Maybe I should uh, see if I can talk my wife into being like, hey, I got this idea. <laughs> I'm going to dig a giant hole in the backyard and put my drums in it <laughs> and play down there. She'll be like, sweet, I'll, I'll just cover it up when you're in there. I'll call up and pitch it to her first if you want. Oh, uh, if it came If it came from you, she'd be all into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like Sarah, I found a way for Mike to play his drums 24 hours a day. Oh man! Now she really, she probably would be fine with it, other than you know, um, uh, digging an underground bunker in the backyard. <laughs> but uh, she loves me having my drum set set up and accessible at the house because then the boys get to play it, and she just loves seeing the boys play music. She has a piano in there, uh, and the boys play. They love the piano. She's going to teach them when they get a little older. And uh, we have all that shit. Drums in the garage. So my older boy, he loves playing them. My younger boy will start playing them soon. That's super fun. I think it's important yeah. to expose them to music instruments. As many musical instruments as you can as you can afford is a good thing. Because who knows if they're going to love the drums or love guitar or love trumpet or piano or the fucking triangle. Who knows, you know? Yeah. My daughter certainly is killing it at piano. Every time she goes there, there's like a new... the, the instructor's like you did really really good today wow i'm just like man i mean she just must be a natural i guess that is so cool yeah yeah i think we talked about it before like being able to play music um builds so much confidence that i and when i think that's why in so many cultures it's it's an imperative element of of a good education because yeah you may never be a concert pianist or a rock drummer or ever play or do anything practical or organized or professional or do anything like that with the musical ability you acquire. But what it does for you personally is, is, um, so developmentally important. Like I think building that confidence and, and then I, all the other stuff I don't understand, like expanding certain parts of your brain and helping you think in certain ways. I'm sure it does all that. I don't know how to articulate it or whatever, but I'm sure playing music makes you smarter, but I know it makes you more confident and uh and it's also a a means to make a lot of friends and be exposed to new groups and and other like-minded people and next thing you know you're you're playing in a school band or playing in a in a in a band with friends and and it's a cool way to meet other people and connect with other people like it's just a great thing on so many planes that um music is just is just an incredible thing and great for kids so i couldn't i couldn't be a bigger advocate for teaching kids or exposing them to music and instruments from the earliest age possible. Yeah. No, it's like that left brain, left brain, right brain. You know, most classes you go in, um, you're going to be using your analytical left brain. Uh, and we arguably <clears throat> use that way too much, you know, so kind of good to be creative and use that other side. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
all that, dude. Like artwork, uh, like drawing, painting, yeah. uh, music. All that's the same. That's that's one side of your brain. Yeah, I, I guess that's where the processing goes on, and it's like, uh, you know, and that the right side of the brain is where you lose the idea of time and space, and you can kind of like. Uh, I don't know, have an awakening experience, I guess, or just for, you forget yourself. That's where you forget okay. yourself. All right. Is the right brain. But then the left brain is like where you remember yourself and you're just real analytical. Oh, like I doing think. math and shit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, I think that side of my brain is damaged. But the other side, the really creative side, that <laughs> that part uh, has, has taken me some good places. But uh, yeah, the math side, no, no bueno. Yeah. Were you good yeah, at math as a spend, kid? I know you're an engineer and, and all that. I assume you were, but were you good at math? Did you like math? Um, I didn't really like math, but I I was good at uh, trigonometry for some Whoa. reason. All right. I never even fucking yeah. got to try trigonometry. I have no idea if I like it or not. <clears throat> yeah, it was funny. I, I hate I hated math. I really didn't like algebra and, and all that stuff, like the all, all that um, quadratic formula and whatever. But then uh, when trig came, I was like, uh, I didn't even try at it. I was kind of lucky. I just was naturally good at that. Huh. All right. Have you ever been able to apply that in your own life? Never. Okay. That was always my thought um, in math is, why do I need to know this? Uh, I have a calculator, and uh, I'm never going to be in a position where I went like, Dah, if I only knew algebra, I'd be able to balance my checkbook or whatever it is, you know, anything I ever need to use this for, I will have the tools to do it for me. But it's probably not so much a matter of knowing how to do it on, you know, notebook paper, but really just understanding how it works and expanding your mind and your ability to uh, learn and calculate and all that. Like, I get that, I guess. But I was always very think, yeah. rebellious against math in school. I think there's very few people that actually know how to utilize math in their everyday life. I, I work, I do work with some that do know how to do that. Um, sure. One particular is this PhD that I work with. He's uh, um, has a PhD from Oxford. Ooh, uh, prestigious. And uh, applied mathematics, which wow. I think uh, I think we're talking creme de la creme. Yeah, uh, right there. He is absolutely, and he's one. He was listed as one of the top five economists of the world. Wow. in the world. All right. Uh, he's extremely genius uh, person, and um, yeah, he knows how to. We'll be working a problem, and he can like write an actual equation that will solve the problem that we're working. I'm like, holy shit, this is just. Uh, um, and it, sometimes it's complex, sometimes it's not that complex. But either way, he knows how to solve the problem with math, and it just blows me away because wow. there's very few people that actually know how to do that. So, so help a layman understand, like, what what kind of a problem could occur that can be solved with math? Okay, so like um, specifically with uh, like if you picture a web page and you picture products listed, excuse me, products listed on a web page, and if you wanted to curate the products on that web page, if you want to precisely place the products on that web page, you need to uh, create an equation to uh, place them in certain positions, if you will. So if I'm um, looking for, so all I'm, I'm seeing like thousands of types of shoes, but I want to see all the red shoes. Well, that, that would be, 
a facet that that okay. would be a, a facet that you would just click and then it would just filter out the red shoes all right but and in some particular like say you wanted to spread out say you had um products of all different colors and you wanted to evenly spread out the products of all different colors so you didn't want all you don't want you never wanted like three black colors in a row of a product mm. You wanted the black and then yellow and then red ah. and then green and then black and then yellow and red and then green. You just wanted to spread them out. That's a math equation that you would do um, and where you would basically like redistribute the the color uh, based on a mathematical equation um, so that and then you would sort it into a list and then you would display that list. Okay. Um, wow. So th that would be one example. And a lot of it is just like spacing or if you wanted to space like a high margin product, you know, one out of every 20 products, you wanted a, a product in there that you make a lot of money on, let's say, ah. you know, you, you would like, you would, um, you would take one list and then mix it with another list of high margin products. And then you would create an interval and space those high margin products into your list. You'd mix them into the list. Huh. Uh, All yeah, right. kind of. Sounds basic, but like trying to actually create an equation that does that, it was like that's way beyond me. But he's kind of showed me like, well, he he knows how to do that shit, wow. and I'm just like, wow, it's just pretty impressive to see. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool because obviously it needs to be automated. I mean, manually you could do it, but it would be exhausting when you're dealing with a large number of items. Um, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. want to automate that sort of thing. Yeah, that has to be. Is that what you would call an algorithm, or is that more of like a a programming feature, or would would that be an algorithm? uh it's kind of like a formula all right um but the, an algorithm like to to qualify for algorithm you would probably need what's called a feedback loop so like where the results of what you did come back and then feed into the results of what you're going to do next oh. so so say you like you wanted to put a high margin product one out of every 20 and you're like, well, let's see how the sales went. Oh, the sales actually went down. We're showing it too often or we're showing it not enough. Um, so then you would get that data and say, well, it doesn't work at one out of every 20 products. Let's do it one out of every 10. And that would probably constitute an algorithm where you, you take the feedback of, of what you just did, uh, measure it, test it, and then tweak tweak it and then make it into a, um, a a feedback loop is what that's called and then feedback into that and say okay yeah now it's successful okay all right yeah that makes sense so there's kind of that next level of uh malleability with an algorithm um yeah all right all right i gotcha huh all right well you answered my question there i thought math was totally useless but i guess it could be useful in that sense yeah good thing you no, have dr I'm math on you. staff for real for real Man. i know shoot seriously very cool Yep. Well, on that yeah. incredibly nerdy note, Derek, why don't we wrap up? We actually talked about quite a few nerdy topics today. We nerded out here, dude. We yeah, started off with we were all over fucking them, fusion and then resonant frequency. Uh, went into detail about Tesla and some of his trials and tribulations. Um, space darts. Yeah. Space darts. <laughs> that, was my, that was my favorite. I really like space darts. Um, yeah. And uh, math. And then maybe even some of the less heady problems that plague the world, like, uh, you know, trying to back up a trailer, you know, some of those things. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious to me. <laughs> I would pay to see that, Mike. I would pay oh, to see that shit. God, I would pay for someone not to see that shit. Yeah, I, I, want, 
I want a video of you backing up a trailer. Oh, on our, I'm, I'm on okay Twitter, at it now. I really am. I'm okay at it now. I've gotten better. But uh, God damn, that, that situation where the guy was just standing there when I pulled up, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Normally, I try to get it out of the way while no one's watching. And uh, this guy was just standing there like, oh, hey, great, you're here. Back it up into this little space. And I'm looking at it going, oh, shit, this ain't going to be good. <laughs> oh, man. All right, man. Episode 30, baby. Episode 30 in the can. Yeah. Wow. I feel like that's uh, uh, a big accomplishment. I'm proud of that, D. This is great. I'm proud of us. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, it's it's just great to, to talk so often, too, on top of it that. It really is, just... man. I, I, I missed you, and now I feel like you and I are closer and more connected than we have been in a long time, and I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, same here, man. I, I find myself very often uh, thinking of something and going, well, I used to always think of like, oh, I wonder what Derek thinks of that, or I'd like to talk to Derek about that, except now I get to all the time, so it's great. Same here. I know. It's funny how our brains work like that with our friends, right? Yeah. Like just in your everyday life, you're like, oh, I wonder what Mike thinks of that. What would Mike do with that? You're like, I'll, I bet Mike would be great at that. I'll find out you on know? Thursday. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> Very cool, dude. Well, yeah. I love you, brother. Yeah. This is a ton of fun. Yeah, I love you too, dude. And we'll keep cranking, and you have a great rest of the day, man. You too, bro. Later. Yeah, and I had plenty of penises all over my head and face. Hey, this is Mike. Thanks a lot for listening. We really hope you're enjoying the show. We have a great time doing it for you. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Derek and Mike Pod, or on our website, DerekandMike.com. And uh, don't forget to subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app. That would be super cool. Helps us out a ton. And it also makes sure that you get notified every time we put out a new episode. Also, if you know of anyone else who might like the show, share it with a friend. Tell someone who might dig it. That would be super cool. We'd really appreciate any support you can give us. Uh, we really appreciate you. And we can't wait to talk to you next time. And until then, have a good one.